0: We're kicking off our conversation here on a beautiful Monday morning in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay, so later in the program we're going to talk about a conflict between urban farms and city bureaucrats. We're going to talk about the Louisiana court ruling against extending the uh, Bayou Bridge pipeline through the nation's largest and one of the most precious swamps. We'll also talk about how more young Americans are entering into farming. And we'll discuss how big oil and the pipeline industry is pushing back against a lot of folks with anti-protest bills in states across the country. But first, it's my uh, pleasure to uh, welcome Anna Fusco to the program. She's the uh, president of the Broward Teachers Union in uh, in South, South, uh, southern Florida. I, uh, I met her this past week when I paid a visit to the uh, Marjorie Stoneham Douglas uh, High School in Parkland. And I'm grateful for her taking the time to talk with me then and for joining us today on the Fallon Forum. Uh, hello, Anna. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Ed.
0: And I know this is a big day at uh, the high school because uh, teachers came back on Friday. I was there for that, and now the students are beginning to come back this week.
1: Yes. Um, the actual the students um, had a, a nice, um, flexible uh, schedule, a uh, new schedule getting yesterday between 3 and 6. Where they all met with their parents and um, you know, walked the school and, and saw where they would have some new classes and got some new schedules. So it'd be you know, um, well organized when they actually came on campus Thursday, and then it's going to be a very flexible schedule for them Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, where they're only going to be in a couple hours just to get the feel yeah. of it and you know because um, it was an emotional day for them yesterday, uh-huh. uh, but they were happy to see. Um, all of their friends back, and you know
0: trying to get back to normalcy yeah and, and there there's several um several things that I think people are interested in, in knowing about uh, the um I, I heard the uh, the superintendent of schools Robert Runcie, I believe his name is that 's uh, his name Robert yeah. Runcie. yeah, he uh, spoke at the uh, press conference there about the importance of uh, focusing on the psychological and emotional well being and and needs of the teachers who were returning last week and the students who will be returning this week. I imagine that may not be... Recovery from such a trauma might may not be a very, you know, quick process and it may be not a very direct road for a lot of people. It's got to be a very, very traumatic experience.
1: It is. It's like in every type of um, trauma or uh, tragedy that happens, everybody individually has a way of dealing with it, coping with it, getting through it, possibly not getting through it. But I know Mr. Runcie's, um number one since... The moment that they heard about the tragedy and they started hearing about the wounded and unfortunately the fatalities That that very moment was getting together teams that would help with um, every single piece of the tragedy from whether you just being there, being injured, uh, losing friends, uh, getting counselors and their grief counselors. um a great team together to fit all the needs that someone might have and yeah. I told them you know it's unexpected needs are going to come up and they have um, a large uh, community group based of those type of counselors that are there on site and there's some that are off-site mm-hmm. that are at everybody's beck and call at all hours too, not just while they're on campus it's off off hours also
0: and this this may be the one area of this uh, this tragedy that everybody agrees on the the uh, the importance of, uh, of dealing with the uh, the trauma, uh, but uh, agreement quickly breaks down after that. And I know that um, right now there's been uh, there, there, I'm seeing a lot of it on my own Facebook page. From what I wrote, I wrote a blog about our our, our visit uh, last week, and I'm getting a lot of pushback about that. Uh, people saying, "Well, it really—it's not. Guns aren't the problem, and it isn't even the young man who did the shooting is the problem. It's the system that that let him get away with that, and blaming blaming teachers, school administrators, blaming law enforcement. And I—I I, I'm going to guess that, like me, you find that that uh, shifting of the blame pretty
1: reprehensible. I believe shifting of the blame is just—it's um, not right. There are so many components of." why this happened. And right now I wish people would stop doing the blame game and just do an autopsy and dissect everything that happened and how it happened. And let's work on it never happening again. Right. Um, you know, the, the the gun played a big part in it because that's the tool that used to take out 17 lives and injure 14 people. Uh, the social emotional part of this young man, which not everybody knows, Um, exactly what he has or what he went through it's it's all going to come out that's a piece of it Um, the parts of how he was in in the school system and the parts of where it was put out um, outside of the school system to outside agencies of how that it was handled that's a piece that needs to be looked into there's so many components of this tragedy and everybody wants to jump and do the blame game because they feel that you know So many days have passed and you know, there's an investigation and things are coming out. And with that, there's hearsay that's coming out. There's um, conspiracy theories coming out when, if everybody would just focus on what's really important that lives of students in school, that's across our county, across our state, across our country that have been affected with their parents, with their loved ones, and then the actual educators that are in that actual building in our building across the county across the state across the county the county it 's all we 're all tied in, and everybody wants answers, obviously, but everybody also wants to know what are the measures to try to make this not happen again and to keep everybody safe
0: and on that topic I think one, one, uh, one issue that there seems to be increasing consensus around is that Nobody should be able to purchase and own a military-style assault weapon. Would you agree with that growing sentiment?
1: I I agree with that. There's just no reason for that gun other than to go into war. And it, why do we need those out in the streets? I know that we have some elements in society that cause uh, people that, that feel the strong need to protect themselves. And um, there are some excellent weapons out there that can help protect our families and protect ourselves, that level of a weapon is just catastrophic in everyday society, and when it's not used in the format that it was designed for, to take out a lot of people in a very little amount of time. Yeah, and it's just something that we need our government and people just to look at and reconsider, you know, the right to have it and the want to have it should be looked at against is there really a need to yeah.
0: have it? Do, do you think I, I, I'm sensing? I mean, I, we we collectively have uh, a, a visceral response to every mass shooting, school shootings, and otherwise. And 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 there's for a short time there's momentum to talk about change, to talk, to talk about. Uh, a, you know, background checks or waiting periods or a ban on military-style assault weapons, and then it goes away. My feeling is there's something different happening now. And again, I I credit the you, know, the, you and and others, and especially the students who have, um, have been, been I think spoken more vocally, more passionately than I've ever heard, uh, at least never ever ever heard broadcast through the mainstream media before. And it gives me some encouragement to believe that we may be to the point now where we will see action on military-style assault weapons. Do you do you share that optimism, or am I being too hopeful?
1: No, I share the, Our kids have taken an incredible jump in this. They are um, very aware of laws and um, actions that are that have happened, that can happen, and they are articulate they know how to research they know how to figure out what they need to do to get things done and i don't believe that this group is their momentum is going to stop until change is made and i think because of their powerful um movement and insight they are bringing as we can see across the country other students into it and i also believe that it's also coming into adults knowing that they need to step in and help out.
0: Yeah. And and a lot of this is going to be focused on the the national mobilization on March 24, which already has I mean there's this one here in Des Moines that just got launched it's already got I think 5 or 6,000 people interested. It's uh that, that's incredible. And that seems to be the the case across the country. You, how, how important do you think that March 24 mobilization is, Anna? I think
1: that mobilization march is is More important than the women's march that we had um, a year ago, that it's going to be bigger and it's going to be louder in a a direct way of where clear, precise change is going to be mentioned and needed. We're just hoping that who it's going to, that they receive it and actually do something with it.
0: Yeah, And my understanding is that 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 mobilization is being initiated and led by young people.
1: It is. By the kids.
0: That's great. It's yeah.
1: 100% by the kids.
0: One last question. Uh, a lot of the sure. conversation, in terms of uh, for those who want, those like President Trump and the wholly owned subsidiary of the NRA known as the U.S. Congress, well, one thing they try to do to avoid conversation about some real substantive change on gun control is to say, well, what we need to do is arm teachers in the classroom. <laughs> as the president of the Broward Teachers Union, how do you feel about that proposal?
1: No. I feel that. Um, I I guess their rationale of what they think, you know, uh, do on to others that do on to you might have been taking place, but to arm teachers is not what we want. I've, I have have spoken to thousands of teachers throughout my time as being president. I've been a, a career teacher of 25-plus years, and um, you arming us is not the answer. We want our law enforcement to be properly trained and armed, increase that. You know, let's look into everything else that they're trying to put that blame to social, emotional, uh, the system had some glitches in it. Let's check all that out. Put the resources and the funding there to really get to what happened and not have it happen again. And let's increase everything we need and not put the burden on teachers that have to want to take a stance and, uh, we're protecting our students no matter what. We know that. But to say that we have to have a gun in our hand and, and the end all be all that we're going to pull a trigger to shoot and kill somebody, um, that's not what we want to do.
0: Right. And that's not your training and your passion. So, yeah.
1: No. And, and they keep saying that the training can make it, you know, make it happen. You know, we all can be trained in so many things outside of being sure. our career teachers. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we want to have a gun and bring it to school And that's part of our everyday life in school. And we would love a society where we don't have to worry about a gunman coming into our schools anymore. And I think a piece that would help if they did take that AR-15 off the rack, off the, you know, off the sale, that would help.
0: Yeah. Well, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Really appreciate it. And, again, uh, you must be snowed. With all the maybe that expression doesn't work in Florida. You must be buried uh, <laughs> with all the uh, all the attention to this um, this uh, tragedy and the uh, and the very encouraging response in, the, in its aftermath. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us.
1: Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you um, taking the time to want to um, get a message out there and, and help us with um, understanding that arming teachers is not the answer, and there are so many components as to why this happened and. If, people would focus on that that would make this much better and to acknowledge our students for stepping up and taking on this great um initiative and moving it forward and i appreciate you wanting to do that
0: thanks again Anna. we've been talking folks with anna fusco of the uh the president of the broward teachers union broward is the county in florida where uh, Marjorie Stonem Douglas High School is in Parkland, Florida. Later in the program, uh, Jenny Quiner is going to join us to talk about a conflict um, between a growing and very successful urban farm and some bureaucrats who just don't get it. Uh, we'll also uh, talk about the uh, growing number of young farmers in America. And we'll talk about how big oil is pushing back against uh, anti-pipeline protesters with bills in Ohio, Iowa, Wyoming, and Probably elsewhere as well, but first I want to continue the conversation about uh, about uh, gun violence. But I take a second here to uh, thank our some of our other local business partners, uh, Earth Made Clean. Uh, they provide high quality cleaning services using pro- using products and supplies that are safe for you, your family, your pets, and the planet. Uh, thanks also to Community CPA and Associates. It is. Sad to say, tax season, folks. So for all your tax and accounting needs, give Yingshaw of Community CPA a shout uh, with offices located in Des Moines and Iowa City. Thanks also to Ritual Cafe located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and a great uh, vegetarian menu. All right, so... uh, Again, if you'd like to join this conversation, uh, give us a call. I see some people have been sending comments. If you'd like to call, join us at 515-528-8122. That's 515-528-8122. So, um, you know, one of the the concerns that the uh, folks who believe that all guns are all good are putting out there is that uh, the reason that, these shootings happen happen at schools is because they are, quote, gun-free zones. And as a letter writer today, Philip Brown points out, that's quote, hogwash. Um, you know, schools aren't really gun-free, many of them. A lot of them have a security officer in them, the, the school in Parkland did. Uh, that shooting occurred despite that uh, armed sheriff's deputy. Um, and of course, it's not just schools that These these Fort Hood, a Fort Hood, a U.S. Army base in Texas. There have been two different shooting incidences at that base in the past decade. And so, uh, you know, to somehow say that well, because schools are unarmed, which again, which the not they aren't all unarmed, uh, and so so the proposal, of course, is to arm teachers. And again, we've heard from Anna Fusco, and I've heard from plenty others. Who think that proposal is is absurd, and so um, this is their response. They say, "Well, you know, if we if we arm if we arm those teachers, everything would be fine." But again, how does a teacher, even even an armed teacher who is trained, how does a teacher with you know whatever kind of gun they're packing, going to fare against uh, a, a a guy a, a, a crazy person with an assault weapon, you know? Even in situations where people have been armed and mass shootings have occurred, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes that response is effective. Oftentimes it isn't. And so, yeah, I, I'm afraid that the uh, what's happening is we're seeing, and this always happens on this issue, we're seeing uh, an effort to try to confuse us about what's really going on, to move us away from the conversation that we need to happen. Uh, and and I'm you know I I am not opposed to people owning guns, I don't own one myself. But you know, if you want if you want to hunt, you should have access to hunting rifles, shotguns. If you need if you feel you need a weapon for private your own personal protection, great, do that. If you um you know if you collect guns, fine. But this guy we got to draw the line somewhere. I mean. Maybe, maybe for all I know, this is legal. Maybe it's legal to own hand grenades. Uh, where do you? You got to draw the line somewhere, and it should be a lot lower than nuclear weapons. I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised that some people aren't arguing that they have the right to own a small nuclear deterrent. But you know, certainly we should, as most Americans are beginning to agree, be able to draw the line at assault weapons, and um, you know, a military-style assault weapon whose purpose is to is to kill lots of people in a war situation. That just doesn't make any sense to, have, to, to allow that uh, anywhere in the U.S. And again, I, you know, I, I also agree that the conversation about, about gun violence and school shootings and, ma- and gun massacres is much bigger than the issue of, of guns. I think, that, I think that is the key piece. But yeah, mental health is also an issue. Funding for mental health is an issue. Um, a society that has become, uh, almost, you know, almost pathologically isolated, where where people, where people are not um, are not connected to each other, uh, that's a problem. That's a, that's definitely a problem. And I, you know, I, and the other, there, there's there's so many things that need to be addressed. But again, I I refuse to let the NRA derail this conversation. And I think what's happening now is we're seeing enough momentum led by young people, led by the next generation, where they're not going to allow this conversation to again end in a dead end, uh, where we just continue to see more and more of these tragedies. Again, we've already had 18 school shootings this year in the U.S. It's not even March yet. We've had 18. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a problem. And we really need to stand firm and make sure that the, uh, the purveyors... Of these weapons, don't get away with derailing the conversation again. Let's go to the phone and uh, welcome Kathy to the program. Hello, uh, Kathy, you're on the uh, La- Fallon Forum on Lorena, at twelve sixty a.m.
2: Hi, thanks for covering this issue, Ed. You're welcome. Well, I taught high school for fourteen years, and I can't imagine myself with all the other responsibilities that a teacher already has, also being responsible for their literal lives. Um, the 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 hiring process would get deranged. For instance, well, what are your skills in uh, helping students understand grammar? How well do you inspire students to read? And what are your gun skills? Uh, you know, would people not be who are otherwise great teachers not be hired because they don't have the gun skills? So that that was one of my first thoughts, and and the second thought is that it's a uh, um, it's a distraction. The the, the problem is that. Those kinds of mass killing machines, those assault rifles, should not be able to come into the schools. There should be no reason for teachers to have to protect their students against that kind of threat.
0: Now, did, did you ever, uh, as a teacher, you were, said you were a teacher for 14 years. Did you see any, any instances of, uh, of, uh, of, of gun-based threats in your school? Were there, were there, was there ever any, any question that that might be a problem in one of your classrooms?
2: No, and I taught in small districts with uh with just total open doors, very little security, nothing of the type. I did lose a number of students to gun violence, unfortunately, not because someone came into the schools but um from from uh, self inflicted gun uh, wounds or as a homicide mm-hmm. so uh the the topic of a gun on my own person is is a really delicate issue as well um, it's it's a it's a, a stinging reminder of the students that I've lost uh, mm. to see what happened in Parkland and uh, to, to those students and, and the teachers, um, they need to be reassured that guns can't come into their building because they're not available, not told that they need to defend themselves against it. it it's 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 rude, it's, it's insulting, and it's a total distraction. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for the call, Kathy. And I, one of the signs I saw when I was at the high school in Parkland, Florida, was never again. And that's, a, uh, you know, really, that's, that's, that's what we all ought to be rallying around. This, this needs to stop, and it needs to stop now. So uh, thank you for sharing Agreed. your perspective as a teacher. You bet. Let's go to one more call before we take a break. Uh, let's go to Elaine. Hello, Elaine. Welcome to the show.
3: Hey. Hi, Ed. How are you? Good. Good. Hey, um, in terms of the nuances involved with um, this topic, uh... and the, the mental health piece that people are talking so much about i just ran across an article in the los angeles times uh... related to peer-reviewed research that draws some nuance between who is more likely to commit an act depending on the nature of the mental illness that's being talked about and so um... i'm wondering if we should focus whenever that topic comes off that comes around that uh, posing the question of all mental Ill- illness is not created equal, but yet there are some statistics to show. According to this article, that individuals with major mental disorders, those that substantially interfere with life activities, are more likely to commit violent acts, especially if they abuse drugs. Right, which is fascinating. So, so we don't want to have this dragnet just because somebody is, you know, on some, you know, has some depression or something. Um, or it has a stressor in their life that they get, you know, automatically swept up in some sort of bureaucracy related to this. But on the other hand, there's re- some research being done out there, as the L.A. Times is, is shining a light on, that could help advance the discussion around mental illness, because the God or the devil's in the details, clearly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so... uh what, what, would, what would you say to uh, – I don't know if you heard the first part of the program with Anna Fusco. Do you, do you think her take is on the right track and that uh, yeah, while we do need to do something about mental illness, uh, a, a top priority is to make sure these assault weapons aren't out there?
3: Well, I, th- I think it speaks to the logic that a person who is struggling, who is, who is under stress and is for some reason volatile – related to maybe they have a history of domestic abuse, um, have a restraining order against them. They may also be, um, struggling with some sort of addiction or something. You know, how do we assess a person's volatility? And there's, there's some ways to do that. There's some data behind some of that, but these, these simplistic statements making each new part of these issues black and white doesn't serve yeah. any, anything. Yeah.
0: There's very little that's black and white about about human beings <laughs> we're right, very we're very right. nuanced, very complex, very individual and so. so
3: I'm hoping that I'm hoping and you do this is that you understand that the web of of nuances around any issue as complex as that is important to not fall into that either or zero sum game. We focus on this or we do this, why can't it be an and? yeah, you know why you know, we, we need to do this and we need to do yep. address the assault weapons and the mental health right. piece and right. the stresses in people's life and domestic violence and, yep. and true, how they're yeah. all connected.
0: Yeah. And I, and I hope women. we have I hope we have that broad spectrum approach. It's definitely, definitely needed. So, yeah. Great. Hey, well, Elaine, uh, th- yeah, thank you for joining us, Elaine. Appreciate the phone call.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Ed.
0: All right, folks, okay. when we when we come back from a break here, we're going to um, switch gears a bit and, and talk about the uh, victory in Louisiana where the Louisiana court has put the brakes on the uh, Bayou Bridge pipeline. We'll be back in a few minutes on the Fallon Forum.
3: Not the guy who
0: cared about- Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks for uh, joining us today. That's Brother Trucker leading us back to our, our second half of the program here. Later in the program, uh, Jenny Quiner is going to join us. i want to talk about a conflict between her urban farm, and city bureaucrats. Okay, so um, <clears throat> big news last week for us uh, us uh, pipeline warrior types. Um, the, um, the Bayou Bridge Pipeline is the final extension of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Of course, Dakota Access Pipeline, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, and Illinois connects in Patoka to another existing line that runs all the way down to Texas. Now, the um, Bayou Bridge pipeline would extend from Texas all the way across southern Louisiana to uh, um, a, a, uh, a refinery on the eastern side of that state. So uh, folks have been fighting it pretty hard back there and um, achieved a major victory this past week where a federal judge uh, blocked construction of the Bayou Bridge pipeline through the Atchafalaya Basin, which is the nation's largest Wetland, large, I, That's my understanding. The largest swamp, and I don't, don't know quite what the definition of swamp is, but having grown up on one, I love them. They're incredibly valuable for, in so many ways. Um, as an 11-year-old boy, they're really a lot of fun, but ecologically they're a great place as well. And so um, the uh, pipeline folks are not allowed to build through the swamp. But that's not the end of the story, because just this morning the uh, pipeline company has filed uh uh, a request to ignore the injunction and allow it to continue to build now, even if the judge and I, I suspect the federal court will stick with its ruling and say that no we've we 've determined that this is a very sensitive area the pipeline 's impact requires more study we 're not going to let you go through my suspicion is they 'll stick with their ruling, but even as even, even, even as they do, the pipeline company is continuing to build this. Line the Bay- Bayou Bridge Pipeline, through other parts of Louisiana. And that's a major problem, and also drawing a major pushback. Uh, there's a camp been formed in Louisiana. It's much like the Standing Rock Camp in North Dakota. This one is called Loé-la-Vie Camp. That's Water is Life in French. Uh, this is the heart of Cajun country. And um, this camp is uh, a ha- hotbed of um, of uh, activism, In opposition to this pipeline, and as we speak, literally this morning, there are people standing in front of the bulldozers on one of the stretches of this pipeline where construction has commenced. So there'll be a lot more about that. Uh, Check out my Facebook page, Ed Fallon, and also Fallon Forum. Uh, We'll be updating you on things that are going on there as we learn about them. At any rate, um, good to know that the pipeline opponents win one once in a while. And again, in the long haul... Uh, this will be a no-brainer because we're dealing with fossil fuels. And, you now the fossils, um, they kind of left the planet a long time ago. And uh, what they left behind is not exactly renewable. Uh, later in the program, for those listening on our community-owned stations, we're going to talk about the um, proliferation of sustainable farms run by young people across the country. We'll also talk about uh, what's happening with... Uh, Anti-protest bills targeted at folks who've been opposed to pipelines—that's uh, that's rearing its head in several states. Compliments of uh, Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council. With me in the studio now, though, is uh, Jenny Quiner of Dogpatch uh, Urban Farms in Des Moines. Uh, welcome, Jenny.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: And so you've got um, you've got a little problem on your hands. You've done an amazing—you've uh, you've been profiled, in fact, uh, for the incredible urban uh, farm that you have created through. Probably no, amount of small, no, no, no small amount of effort. And uh, now there is some pushback. Uh, you're being required to add a public restroom and a new septic system, uh, fencing, uh, water retention berms, landscaping. Uh, you also might have to repave uh, surfaces, uh, creating a site plan. What the heck is going on?
4: Well, it's a, that's a loaded question, because it, it is a really long story, and to really summarize it, uh, first of all, just to be clear, our farm is in Des Moines, yet we're in an unincorporated neighborhood. It's called Webster Township, so we deal with Polk County rather than the city of Des Moines. I've had people ask me that. Mm. Um, and we've had some problems with the guidance that our county representatives have given us, and...
0: Meaning they gave you wrong information?
4: Well, at the time, maybe. (laughs) It depends on how you interpret it. But um, two years ago when we started the farm, before we even started the farm, we reached out to Polk County and said, here are our intentions with the land. Can we grow? Can we sell produce? Those sorts of things. And they guided us and said, yes, you can. You can have a farm stand. And so... Before we even bought, started the business, we thought we did our due diligence by communicating and, and right. talking. to How many to, years ago was that? About two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Right. We bought it uh, the land in the fall of 2015, and then started spring of 2016. Mm-hmm. And so through that time, our business has changed; it has evolved. But every time there's a change, we communicate with our county, and we take their information and we apply that to our business. And what has ended up happening is we relied on our county's information to our detriment.
0: Oh. So they gave you bad information?
4: Basically.
0: And they, do they admit that?
4: No. And so
0: so why, why are they requiring you to – I mean, this is a crazy list of uh, bathrooms, mm-hmm. uh, um, <laughs> new paving, uh, berms, landscaping, fencing. Why are they – they, 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 don't, they don't do that to farms well, normally. Why, so why are they doing that to you?
4: We are in a residential neighborhood, and we're zoned residential. And starting off, uh, we we have an on-site farm stand where we sell our produce and then other locally sourced products. okay. And you can do that on residential land. You don't need to be rezoned commercial. Mm -hmm. Now, we kind of got on their radar about a year ago because we said, hey, we want to host events. We want to have permanent signage. And so to do that, we need a conditional use permit. Uh, Being residential, a conditional use permit allows us to do events and those sorts of things. And when we applied for that permit, it kind of put us on their radar. And some people from the county that weren't typically a part of our interactions got eyes on our business and started to say, well, their business doesn't align with what they thought was going on. Were, were
0: neighbors complaining?
4: Not at all. No. We have such great community support. Okay. And it's, so, yeah, and so that's a just good some, question. So just
0: some bureaucrat who's trying to justify his or her job.
4: Well, I truly. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to call well, it like it is. My heart of hearts, and I, I want to say this: I we're not trying to like say, oh, we're perfect and we did everything right. But we're a farm that's enhancing our community, and we just want to work with our county so we all win. But we feel like every time we get off the phone with them, it's thousands of dollars more of improvements we need to do. And so I understand we're a business and we need there's policies regulations we're not just trying to say oh we shouldn't do any of that but right. we just feel like we're not getting supported or worked with and that's the big problem right now
0: yeah and so the Kickstarter campaign is for what purpose
4: the Kickstarter campaign is twofold one to raise money because we're looking at you know, to raise
0: money to pay for some of these yes. required uh, Yes, raise changes. money
4: to pay for some of these Well, infrastructural... What is
0: the price tag on all these changes?
4: We're estimating $75,000. <laughs> now that, to <laughs> go a, along that's with That's a big that, hit for a small farm. Tell me about it, for yeah. any small business. Yeah. Uh, and that's assuming, so mid-May we have a variance meeting with the county because there's some things they want us to do that we're trying to get a variance for so we don't have to. Uh, an example would be they want us to put landscaping right by our fencing where we walk to the farm and so on to move produce and so it, it makes no sense why but
0: it doesn't mean i guess the why is it makes no sense okay. well
4: the they they <laughs> they say that they want us we're commercial business according to them now um and so where there's commercial and residential align you have to have landscaping and fencing and so they're just crossing off boxes that doesn't fit our business
0: yeah and, and again there are more and more businesses like yours all over the country i mean i'm an urban farmer but, uh, I in Des Moines, and it, it, they're pretty generous, I yes. guess. But maybe maybe you'd be better off being in the city limits itself. I don't know. You know, and but, I think uh,
4: the, the big thing that puts that's we're a different type of business than any And you're a much
0: bigger urban farm than yes. I'll ever be. And yeah. the
4: farm stand is what has really kind of caused the issues because they want to call our farm stand a commercial business. But yet, based on the information they gave us, we fit the definition of a farm stand. And so right. what that is is we're open six months out of the year. 50% of our product is produced in Polk County. Uh, there's some signage and parking requirements. They told us that from day one. We still fit those requirements, mm. yet they've decided they want to call us commercial business.
0: Do you know of other folks uh, gardening gardening, and farming in an urban environment having similar problems?
4: Yes. Now,
0: Is it a long list?
4: <laughs> it's, it's, it's a nationwide problem. Yes. It's not yeah. just localized to me. Now, our situation is unique, but... I'm in organizations with other farmers, and I tell them my story, and they, most all of them have a similar situation. Now, maybe not extre- as extreme as ours, but there just tends to be hiccups and hurdles when farming or just having small businesses and government regulation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it just uh, – you know, the fact that you have tremendous support from your neighbors and support from across the uh, metropolitan area, you, you think that would weigh pretty heavily in – you know, in terms of the county officials deciding, well, you know, maybe we just need to back off. And maybe, again, maybe what's needed is to redefine this as a, you know, a different kind of business uh, or as a different kind of resident for that matter. It's, it's, you know, urban farming hasn't happened in a long time. I mean, it used to be common that people grew their own food. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the case anymore. No. Uh, or hasn't been. But it's changing. Mm-hmm. And it's changing fast. And it just seems like uh, I, I see the same problem with solar energy. Cities that have uh, ordinances relevant to putting up solar panels that are punitive and uh, and really ridiculous when you start thinking about the concerns, you know. And so I, I think a lot of it is just trying to get uh, the the rusty wheels of government to turn in a different direction. And uh, I'm sorry that you have to be the grease that makes that wheel turn. <laughs> yeah,
2: and
4: I I don't. I take your apology because it is very unfortunate. <laughs> and know. what really is so hard is the idea that we are making our community stronger and we're making it a more healthy environment. We're growing organic food. Uh, we, I do education. I do tours. You know, it's, so it's not just the idea that, hey, we're growing food. How we're do you doing- do all that
0: <laughs> <laughs> while, while fighting City Hall?
4: Oh, you know, luckily <laughs> my husband is amazing and he's a major part of yeah. um, helping, especially when it comes to dealing with the county and that sort of thing. So uh-huh. we're a good team.
0: Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just a little bit more about what you do. Uh, You you sell, you have um, have folks that come out and buy food?
4: Yes. Um,
0: You deliver food to restaurants? uh, Yeah.
4: Yeah. So we're we're pretty diversified in the sales that we do, but uh, the farm stand is our main revenue source where people can come to us. uh, And then we sell to restaurants. Some of your sponsors, you mentioned earlier, we sell to them. Uh, So we've got about 10 different restaurants in Des Moines that we sell to periodically. And then I have a – it's a CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and it's a little modified. It's called a salad subscription. And so we have about 25 members that sign up for that, and they get weekly shares of produce from me each week. Only salad? Uh, you know, it's all – so <laughs> my the things I grow are kind of oriented around salads. Oh, okay. I specialize in greens. Yeah. And so, uh, for example, I'm not growing – I don't grow summer squash. I don't grow fennel. I don't grow things that take up a lot of space because mm. my land is limited. Right. So – things I do grow are fit well into salads. Yeah. That's okay. why we've got salads. Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, that, and that's, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so how, um, how, you have 25 of those yeah. customers? Mm-hmm. How yeah. many How many restaurant and business clients do you have?
4: So I, I say usually around 10 restaurants and it varies week to week when the sure, season's up course, and running. Course, uh, yeah. But what I do is Every Sunday, I send my restaurant contacts the fresh sheet. Here's what we have available. Here's the price. I'll deliver on Thursday. Let me know what you need. And it's, it's been really fun to get to know chefs in the area because yeah. they're amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, we have, uh, I mean, I refer to Des Moines as the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. No offense to all my listeners or elsewhere in the country where great things are happening, but we really have it going on here in terms of food and culture. And the food scene, it's, it's really like a, a, a merger of artistic and culinary skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been so amazed at some of the uh, stuff that lands on my plate at these restaurants where you've got incredi- incredible chefs doing
4: amazing things,
0: often with local foods.
4: Yeah, yeah. And that's what I love. They're, they're definitely a growing movement of chefs that want to support local for multiple reasons, but one, it usually tastes better.
0: Yeah. So um, before we run out of time here, mm-hmm. Jenny, if people want to learn more about your, your campaign, where do they go? What do they do?
4: You know, you can go to Kickstarter.com and search Dogpatch Urban Gardens. Dogpatch
0: Urban, Urban Gardens. Gardens.
4: Or you can go to my website, which is DogpatchUrbangardens.com.
0: Dogpatch. All right. A great name. Yes. Yeah. You have a dog?
4: Well, actually, it's named uh, after our neighborhood.
0: Oh, oh really? Okay. <laughs> the neighborhood
4: is known as the, the dog, dog Patch. patch. All so. right. Cool.
0: Yeah. All right. Great. Folks, we've been talking with uh, Jenny Quiner of a Dog Patch Urban Gardens about, uh, oh, a little bit of a conflict, a $75,000 conflict with uh, local government uh, officials. But uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, check out what she's doing. And again, hope you appreciated the earlier conversation with Anna Fusco of the uh, Broward uh, teachers union. For those listening on our community owned stations, stay tuned. If you're listening on Lorraine at twelve sixty AM 96.5 FM, we'll be back live next Monday at eleven o'clock Central Time, same time, same place.
3: Magic has me in its spell. That old black magic that you weave so well.
0: Alright, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Uh, Jenny Quiner in the studio with me as we discuss um a an impressive uh, trend Nationally, uh, the um, the number of uh, of farms being founded by people under age off the charts compared to it says, uh, almost you know almost two thirds of uh, farmland in the U.S. is uh, is managed by folks older than fifty five. You know the average the average age of, of a farmer keeps going up, although that started to change. Because um, over the next five years, it looks like about a hundred million acres of uh, that farmland is expected to change ownership. And um, again, we've got more and more young farmers who are getting into uh, farming, and most of them are doing something in the realm of sustainability and organics. Um, Jenny, welcome to the show, and um, you're, you're 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 part of this movement. You're a young farmer, and uh, you. Uh, you you see more and more people doing what you're doing.
4: I do, yeah. And it, this article fits my demographic. You know, I'm. It's it talks about is it the under age 35, I believe. I'm 34, starting my farm. It's an organic, sustainable farm, and there's a growing movement towards that.
0: And you don't have any particular. You you didn't you weren't raised on a farm. Correct.
4: Yes, yeah. I have no farming background. I grew up in Des Moines. Uh, my parents didn't farm, so I'm a first generation farmer.
0: Yeah. So uh, some of the obstacles that uh, that farmers, the new farmers face, uh, well, obviously land mm-hmm. and again, a lot of this land is owned by older folks, and um, they tend to hang on to it. and when it does come up for sale, it tends to be expensive. And a lot of the uh, large operators tend to be those who are able to afford it. So that that's a big issue how how are, how are local how are small farmers, young farmers, again, those doing, organics and sustainable, sustainable stuff. How are they able to break through and be to- A
4: lot of farmers that I know, they actually rent their land. So, you know, in an ideal world, they do own, but most of the time they have to rent their property in order to just get established and get some income. And with the idea that hopefully down the line, they'll either purchase that land or buy land elsewhere.
0: Because isn't there, isn't there uh, some USDA requirement? If you want to use some USDA funds to help aid in that purchase, you've got to You've got to buy at least like 40 acres or something.
4: There's, there probably are. There's so many different USDA and different types of programs that I'm not in tune to all of them. But I, I bet you're right with that.
0: Yeah. yeah well, I mean, what I've heard is that the USDA is willing to loan a beginning farmer um, money to buy land, but only if it qualifies as a, quote, farm. And in a lot of places, that means 40 acres. Okay. And okay. you and you have what an acre?
4: Um, we own an acre. I grow on a fourth <laughs> of an acre, so we definitely wouldn't fit into that.
0: You one. grow you grow on a fourth of an acre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, when when you when a farm is defined as forty acres, again we're talking about livestock or crops or and again forty acres is small for yeah. a conventional farm and anymore folks are looking at farming a thousand, two thousand, three thousand acres
4: even. Yeah. The the idea of scale it's pretty crazy because the mega farms you know like you said are thousand acres and then you've got I'm I'm a tiny, I don't even know the right term for me, small-scale farm. But farmette. <laughs> yeah, I'm a farmette. There you go. I like it. But, yeah, you know, to me, 40 acres, that's a lot of land. Yeah. But still, that's that's not even considered a large farm. It
0: depends on the quality of the land and also what you're growing. If, you, if mm-hmm. you're an apple orchard, yeah, you probably want more land than if you're growing garlic.
4: No, it's a very good point. Or in
0: your case, you're growing, you know, greens. Yep,
4: yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's... That's the reason I grow greens is because my land is limited. So it allows me to, uh, greens r- work well in a small space.
0: So if you had more land, what would you grow?
4: A lot more greens. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I actually, I truly love greens. and Apparently. <laughs> uh, the, and my customers love them too. But yeah, I would d- diversify for sure um, and do a lot more storage crops.
0: So do you, uh, w- one of my concerns is, and we've r- we're already seeing this, I think, uh, as uh, organics take off, as more and more people want to know where their food comes from, as more and more people want to source their food locally, you, there's going to be a pushback. I mean, Big Ag, and you know the, this is this is a huge economic machine that has incredible clout politically and financially, and they're not going to want to lose control of what they have. And we're seeing the we're already seeing a pushback with um, with some of the big grocery stores and big chains getting into organics, and um, I'm just wondering Do you see some of the other pushbacks likely to come as this movement continues to grow.
4: Good question. I truly hope that that's the, why they pay me. the big Yeah, bucks. exactly. Me, oh, too. Right? Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Right.
4: Right. <laughs> I, I, you know, obviously, as a small scale farmer, I hope those pushbacks are minimal. Uh, you know, it's nothing jumps out at me totally. But Big Egg does have a lot of power. And so we'll see how they use their power. But I think the big thing that we can do is as consumers is you know you vote with your dollar and so how you spend your money is important so support those local small-scale and, and that's, farmers. What ha-
0: that's what's happening more and more people are are making a decision with their pocketbook they're deciding to support even even if the price might be a bit more they're supporting you know, locally sourced foods yeah they're supporting foods raised organically and, and and again that's taking market share away from the big company well here's one example of pushback And I'll I'll bet there are similar examples elsewhere in the country. But here in Iowa, you've got stores that only sell eggs that are raised, uh, uh, what did I say, cage-free eggs. Mm -hmm. And we've even got large chain restaurants that only serve cage-free eggs. And, uh, you know, part of the pushback is almost comical because it's so hypocritical. You know, from the same folks that demand that the market should be allowed to work and that businesses shouldn't be told, you know, pushed around and told what to do, they want to require these these stores that only sell cage-free eggs to carry non-cage-free eggs. I, carry, I did just see car- that legislation. To carry industrial eggs, they want to require them to carry a product that they don't want to sell. Yeah,
4: I saw that recently. You I know, mean, I, I laughed at it. It,
0: well, it. it is laughable, but unfortunately, it's coming from a source that has a lot of power, mm-hmm. a lot of political my, political might, a lot of money, and even though it is absolute hypocrisy, you know, when you stack it up against. The typical beliefs that that this this sector of uh, the political universe subscribe to, you know, they're, they're pushing it nonetheless because they know that those those of us who demand eggs from more sustainable sources are starting to cut into their market share.
4: It's it's true. It's very true. So I
0: mean, are you, do you see more things like that happening where yes. they actually start requiring stores to carry crappy products. Yeah,
4: <laughs> and I mean, who wins? I guess big egg, maybe, but once yeah, oh, again, yeah. as the consumer, just don't buy it and see how yeah. that evolves. But, you know,
0: it, it, it's, I, you know, and, and some of us are very, very meticulous about where we shop, uh, what we buy, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, take, it takes effort. It takes time. It takes, it, it takes a, a, a willingness to study what's out there and yep. read labels and all that. And, and you know, a lot of people don't have that time or that passion and so if they are successful at requiring stores to carry certain products, yeah, then it's probably going to be uh, a success for the um, the purveyors of those yep. non-sustainably raised I, products. I do agree
4: with that. Because yeah. not not everyone is as in tune or cares about their food and where it comes from as maybe you or I. And so they see, oh, there's some eggs at the grocery store. They're cheaper. I'll buy those. Yeah. No, that's a great yeah. point.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you, you know, even, even the word organic itself has become a problem. Oh, yes. Uh, Now, what's what's your take on on that? Because I know there's, uh, well, the the definition means a lot of things. Yes.
4: Uh, You know, so first and foremost, organic is a term that the government owns. And so I can't say I'm an organic farm because the government could come get me because I don't pay for that logo. So that's the first thing. Second, there's a new development now where... You can be an organic farmer and grow not using soil. So you can grow hydroponically right. or aquaponically. Right. And to me, the foundation of organics is not just your food, but it's the environment and enhancing ecosystems. And that all comes back to your soil. Mm-hmm. And so organic is not just the way, the way you grow your food, like not using synthetic chem- chemicals. It's also... Increasing your biodiversity, building ecosystems, and so on. But yet, if you're growing hydroponically, you're growing indoors in a controlled environment where there's no ecosystem.
0: How did this happen? And because uh, originally, organic meant the stuff that you and I, and probably most of the listeners of this program, believe it to mean. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people would have imagined that organic meant growing food without soil. That it also means growing it with certain, you know, certain um, certain types of uh, Inputs that many of us would regard as toxic. Mm-hmm, yeah. So how how do we get to the point where the government owned the name organic and and defined it in such a way that's not consistent with what most of us believe in?
4: I truly, my guess is it's all related to money and how how can they get the most out of this word?
0: Not uh, they, not not government in this case. But well, actually,
4: the, I would probably really. Uh, I guess. I yeah. haven't really dove that deep into that that question.
0: This sounds like another topic for, yeah, it, our, for, our, for our program really, here. Really, yeah. yeah. Uh,
4: and now, yeah. I will say, like, I still support organic farms, and I know many organic farmers, and I love them. I think it's wonderful. But I think the term is getting overused, Yeah. and it doesn't have as much value as it once and you're, did. And you're
0: not certified organic. I am not certified organic. And, and the reasons?
4: One, my market doesn't demand it, because most of my product, people are coming to my farm to buy it. So
0: they can see how they you see grow it. They see it,
4: yeah. yeah. And a lot of the a lot of it is knowing your farmer. And so most people would rather buy spinach from me, even though it's not organic, versus spinach from a company from California. But well, when you say not organic, you still don't use oh, chemicals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I actually like to use the word beyond organic, yeah. because <laughs> I don't use any sprays. And right. you, know, you can right. be organic and still use quite a few sprays.
0: Right, or grow it in... In, in a substance that's not that's not soil.
4: Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, so I'm right. actually excited to see there'll be a new term that comes out sooner or later. you that, think it's
0: going to be beyond organic?
4: Yeah, and it, it, <laughs> I don't exactly know what it is, but there's a movement when with market gardeners to create a new term that's stronger than organic.
0: yeah and again, I, I think I, I think we've been talking about the the pushback against the trend of more and more young farmers getting into farming and most of them doing sustainable and organic stuff. Um, this is an early generation pushback against that because, uh, I mean, the gov- government came up with that definition, what, 10 years ago, maybe more?
4: I think it was more, but I don't yeah. know the exact time. It's been a while. And the actual definition, if you read it, it's a, it's really nice because it is about enhancing the ecosystem and and whatnot. But it is but in practice is the it, problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Theory well. to practice is different. Yeah.
0: Well, um, folks, we've been talking with uh, Jenny Quiner. Uh, she farms. She's a... Uh, the uh, the the CEO and and uh, CFO and uh, and head weeder <laughs> at uh, Dogpatch Urban uh, Urban Gardens in the uh, in Des Moines, in the Des Moines metro, not quite in Des Moines, but uh, yeah, she and people like her are doing great stuff with food and farming all over the country. It's a growing movement, and again, the pushback is fascinating to watch. I, I, again, I love it when um, the the. The most, uh, ag, the most big ag-friendly lawmakers want to require grocery stores to carry industrial-raised eggs, even if they don't do that.
3: I never knew the technique of kissing I never knew the thrill I could get from your touch Never cared much, oh, look at me now I'm a new man, better than Casanova at his best with a new heart and a brand new start I'm so proud I'm busting my Alright,
0: so we all are aware of how extensive protests against pipelines have been in the past, well, gosh, what now? Six, seven, eight years? I mean, really? Really, the uh, battle against the Keystone Pipeline in Nebraska brought it to uh, the, you know, the nation's attention. And uh, now with... Um, Pipeline fights up and down the East Coast and, of course, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, people are well aware of how um, <laughs> of how strong is the opposition among not just environmentalists, but native communities, uh, landowners, farmers, uh, a lot of folks just concerned about water and folks concerned about property rights and eminent domain. Now, in Iowa, we had, uh, there were, I think, Somewhere between two and three hundred people were arrested. It was a it was a lot of action, and that included landowners along the pipeline route. Uh, and uh, in Iowa, we are seeing a bill. It's um it's being presented as a sabotage bill, uh, but what it really is is it does two things. It 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 tries to um make it more more difficult for anybody to want to protest by applying potentially a penalty of twenty five years in prison uh, and or uh, a fine of up to $100,000. It also tries to legitimize the an oil pipeline merely transporting the product through the state as part of the critical infrastructure network which is um, quite a stretch. We could talk a lot about every one of these uh, bills and um, there are more on the way. Uh, we need to be vigilant and vocal because while, while a lot of Democrats might be understanding, Democratic lawmakers might understand this, my experience is a lot don't. And so, you know, and Republican lawmakers need to understand as well that a lot of their constituencies are going to be opposed to what's happening as well. Anyway, folks, uh, check this stuff out. Those, 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 those bills are happening in Wyoming, Ohio, and Iowa. That I know of. If you hear of other ones,
3: let me know. This is Ed Fallon signing up from the Fallon I'm Forum. I better than
1: Casanova at his best.